0: Thank you for joining us on If She Can Do It, So Can You. My name is Amanda Creasy and I am your host. On If She Can Do It, So Can You, we aim to air a new episode on the first of every month so that we can share with you women's wisdom, wit, and grit in an empowering and inspirational podcast. I'm glad that you're here to listen as I talk to women about their trials and their triumphs while they share their stories of challenges they've overcome, barriers they've broken, stereotypes they have silenced, and dreams that they have achieved. My goal is that through each episode, you will be able to find your own strength, healing, and motivation through their success stories. Because if she can do it, so can you. Thank you so much for joining us on If She Can Do It, So Can You for our September podcast episode. This is our second episode. Today, our guest is Courtney Polk. She is the first female president of Herschler Law and a long-distance swimmer. She is one of only 250 people to have completed the Triple Crown of open-water swimming, having swum across the 21-mile English Channel, 20-mile Catalina Channel, and 28.5-mile circumference of Manhattan Island. This month, being August, she became the first person in history to complete all of the Triple Crown swims as doubles. So welcome, Courtney. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Of course. So you actually did a swim today. Is that correct? I did.
1: I just went out for it was actually the first time I've been in the water since I got out of the English Channel two and a half weeks ago. So I did a little swim with some friends in the bay.
0: I bet that felt good.
1: It felt great. Yeah, (laughs) a a lot warmer here than in England.
0: I can imagine that would be true. And just to clarify for any of our listeners who might not be in uh, local to Virginia, that's the Chesapeake Bay, right? That's right. Yes. Okay. Um, Okay. So I wasn't sure if it was a competitive swim, but it sounds like it was just a nice, relaxing, recreational, maybe sort of training swim. Yes, exactly. Just to shake it out. Yeah, I can understand. Two and a half weeks probably feels like a long time for someone as dedicated as you to go without getting in the water. Yeah, it has been an eternity. But, you know, I was sore and
1: tired and needed a little bit of a rest. So it was good for me. And I was still a little sore when I got in today. So I was, (laughs) it was good to take the rest.
0: Yeah, that's good. Is there any kind of cross training you do in between long swims like that? Like when you're resting, are you actually resting? I imagine there's, there are other things you're doing in the interim. Yeah. So not
1: after a big swim, like what I just did, um, just really rest and stretching. Um, but typically I would do Pilates or, you know, yoga, stretching, those sorts of things I use in the winter and the off season, I'll use a rower and I'll row too. Um, it's good for the upper back muscle, um, but most, but otherwise, you know, just Pilates, yoga and rowing.
0: So let's talk about the swim that you just did. Cause it, it ended up being a really big accomplishment and a pretty impressive achievement. Um, it happened on August 3rd. Is that right? So I started on August 2nd, finished on August 3rd. Yes. Okay. Tell us a little bit about that swim. Where was it? What was it? And what was your, what was the achievement?
1: So I, um, swam from England to France and then I cleared the water and I was out of the water for about 30 seconds. And then I turned around and swam back from France to England. It took me 27 hours and 36 minutes. Um, And I was the 34th person to complete a two-way English channel swim. But when I finished that swim, I became the first person, as you mentioned earlier, to do all of the triple crown swims as two-way or double. So I did um, a two-way Catalina swim, Catalina channel swim in 2017. And I did a two-way or two times around Manhattan also in 2017. So I set that goal probably back in 2014, 13, 14, to try to do all of the triple crown swims as double. So I was very happy to get the last swim done on August 3rd.
0: Yeah, congratulations. That was a long time coming. I can imagine the elation you must have felt at the accomplishment of that goal.
1: Yeah, so I actually had um, tried to do the two-way English Channel in 2018 and 2019 and in 2020. Wow. And I, each time I got from England to France, but I didn't make the turn for a variety of reasons weather and I got cold in one swim, which was a little bit unusual for me. Um, and then last year, the conditions as well. So um, it was so really a long time coming, having been there basically the last four summers to try to get it done. And I yeah. got.
0: So this goal really took a lot of persistence on your part, not just in training, but in actually trying to reach the goal four times before you, before you achieved it.
1: Yeah, it sure did.
0: (laughs) How did you, how did you stay motivated? I feel like a lot of people would have felt pretty discouraged after the first or second uh, attempt.
1: So, you know, I really, for me, um, a lot of the, the swimming or the, the actual event is really sort of the icing on the cake. To me, it's about the training. It's about the setting the goal and trying to achieve the goal and all of the things that go into that. So I really enjoy the process. Um, and you know, it's hard to be too disappointed with having swim across the English (laughs) channel three times.
0: I would (laughs) not call that a failure.
1: (laughs) Now, now, you know, to a total of six times. So, so I feel like it's, you know, it was very frustrating to go and not get Good weather, but you know, some of my friends go and they don't even step offshore because the weather is so bad, and they they call it getting blown out, like you basically get blown out. So I feel very lucky to have done the swims the last three years. And you know, you just I just put my head down and was like, I'm going to get this done. I knew I had it in me, and I just had to get a good enough
0: day to get it done. I'm glad you finally got that day. <laughs> am too I am too so it sounds like for you the journey is definitely more valuable than the destination but the destination still felt pretty darn good when you reached it It did. yeah it's just it's a lot of stress um a
1: lot of a lot of pressure on myself um but but also and you know a lot of training and it was kind of nice to actually take a couple of weeks off and not have to have it's a lot of brain space when you're thinking about, you know, how you're going to get your training done, how you're yeah. going to work, how you're going to do all these things, and you know, I didn't have to worry about that the last.
0: Yeah, that is a nice reprieve. I'm sure I have done a few nothing like what you have done, but a few half marathons, and the training for that even can be pretty time consuming. And I remember kind of being sad when it was over, but also being like, hmm, "Well, for a couple of weeks, I just have all this time. It's nice. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> nice." So you said you were only out of the water for 30 minutes or 30 seconds, rather, um, on that long swim. So how do you handle things like eating, sleeping, using the restroom, kind of those basic biological needs? How can you meet those in such a long swim? So
1: I'll deal with the feeding first. So I eat every 30 minutes during a swim and the boat will send nutrition out in you know, a bottle, maybe similar to this, only smaller. And I use this um, product called CarboPro and Tailwind Mixed. And they put it in the bottle, they heat it up. So I do warm, warm water feeds and to help keep your body temperature up because it's cold. And so that's, I try to take in about 250 calories an hour because your body really can't absorb much more than that. And so if you take on too much, it just, it just comes out. So, so I do liquid mostly. And then in a really long swim, like what I just did, I will, um, take in some solid food about every two and a half hours. So on the way over, I had hot mashed potatoes, Mm -hmm. uh, which they send out, you know, they can't touch me. I can't touch them. They send everything out on the line. So I have these little bottles that they put are kind of like squeeze bottles and they put the mashed potatoes in there. So I ate those and applesauce. Um, sometimes I eat egg salad, you know, it's you, I like things solid that aren't really as sweet as, the, you know, as the liquid nutrition that I'm taking. So I did that pretty much most of the way over. And then on the way back, I had hot mashed potatoes and hot tea with Carbo Pro and, and honey in it on the way back one, it was night. So I landed in France about six o'clock in the evening. So when I swam back, it was all, all the way through the night and so I was colder and I needed the caffeine. So there's no, no ability to sleep. So they, that's why they gave me the tea and it was colder. So the mashed potatoes just felt great. Like they were a little heater in my stomach. (laughs) Um, so then, uh, so that's pretty much the nutrition is that they just send it out to me on a line and I take it in stop for 30 seconds. If I'm, if I'm good, if I'm, You know, if it's a solid feed, maybe sixty seconds, and then keep them. So bathroom, I mean, you just pee as you go, (laughs) Uh, and thankfully, I've never had to do anything else. So just pee as you go, Um, and then and then no sleep. So you just try to rest as much as you can before you before you go and swim through the night.
0: Wow! And so then, when you finish, I imagine there's maybe the struggle between being absolutely exhausted but also being on this high because of what you just finished. So how do you rest afterwards? What's, what's the after swim? So
1: I would, um, so it's hard to sleep right away in a really long swim. So in my two longest swims, my Catalina channel swim to a was 33 hours and this one was 27 and a half hours. And usually in, Although usually is probably aggressive, in both of those swims, I had hallucination, hallucinations during the swim, at the end of the swim, and then they carried over into, you know, post swim, mostly from lack of sleep, um, a little bit lack of nutrition, but because you can't keep up with your calorie burn, but um, so that. Really makes it hard to rest after because I would close my eyes and I would see, like in this particular swim, I'd see patterns like chenille patterns, and then that would turn into a mouth, and then there would be hair growing out of the mouth, and it was, wow. just, it was just a little bit freaky. I'm yeah, close your eyes. yeah, so I rested. I sat in bed, you know, I took a bath. I really wanted to take a hot bath, so I got in the bathtub. My husband actually fell asleep on the tile floor in the Aww. bathroom waiting for me. To <laughs> so sweet. He was, he was very tired. He was on the boat. So he was very tired. Uh, so, so sleep afterwards. And you know, it's really, it's funny when you, um, when you swim like that and you're by yourself in your head for 25, 30 hours, when you finish, it takes a really long time to kind of come out of that. So I don't really feel like this, um, this elation or this, okay. you know, like this high, like you would, you know, when you, when you finish a marathon or a run, running event or something, you know, you come across the finish line and there's all these people there and it's kind of a party atmosphere. You know, I finished under the white close of Dover by myself on a rock.
2: Right,
1: there's nobody there. And it was, it was awesome. And, you know, you get back on the boat and then the border patrol came and like checked us all when we were coming back into the Harbor. So it's just a little bit surreal when you finish. And then as the days go on, you sort of come out of that and realize what you'd done.
0: It sounds like a very singular experience. That was something I hadn't thought of that when you finish you're you know, you're, you're very, Alone, but not necessarily in a bad way. It's probably very meditative and reflective. Yes, it
1: is. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really like the most about swimming is that it's a place where I can just go and I don't really think about a lot of things. And, you know, I used to sing songs to myself and I do that sometimes now, but mostly it's just I'm just quiet. My brain's just quiet. And, you know, you'll go into some dark places or I'll think about what's going on in the boat and, you know, I'll think about, oh, I feel like I should have had my, my last feed by now mm-hmm. or, oh, oh, wow, that was really fast That <laughs> went by really fast and those sorts of things. But you're very much in the moment all the mm-hmm. time.
0: Right. Well, and that I mean, that's a very interesting way of putting it being in the moment, because I think there is such an increased awareness right now around mindfulness. Um, and it sounds like you've been swimming for years and years and years. So in a way, this has kind of become your mindfulness practice. Yes. Yep.
1: I would totally agree with that.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, okay. we talked about this a little bit. We've touched on it. So I'm sure that during your swims, there's times when you do feel kind of exhausted or discouraged or like, you know, am I, am I there yet? When is my next speed? Where are the cliffs of Dover already? How long have I been at this? And what keeps you going? When you are starting to when you're, when your motivation or your energy is starting to wane, or when those hallucinations start to kick in,
1: probably the best example I can give of that is when I swam around Manhattan twice, we started at noon, and so when I finished, it was just going into the nighttime to the first lap, and so then we had to turn and go up the East River in the dark, which you know you have all of Manhattan lit up there, it was beautiful, and then we got to a place um, going up the Harlem river. So you go up the East river, then you go up the Harlem river, and then you come down the Hudson. And when you get to the Harlem river in a two way, the, you have to swim against the current at some point, because you know, you're, you can plan it for a one way, but you really can't plan it as well for a two way. And so we started swimming against the current. And that was with, I was with other people in that event, usually I'm by myself, but we were swimming. There were four of us at that point swimming around and we were swimming against the current and it was just very frustrating because you literally were not going anywhere. I mean, nowhere, so slow. And I thought it took us, what had taken me the day before to do in about an hour took me about four hours to do because you're just potting away. So at one point, you know, I just went back to sort of that, you know, place where I was like, I'm so grateful that I can be out here. And I started singing Farrell Williams happy, (laughs) you know, with every arm stroke. And it just pulled me right out of that dark place. And, you know, I thought this is the coolest thing. And we actually passed these people at 2 a.m. fishing on the side of the Harlem river. And they were, it was Friday night. They were, they had been drinking and they were fishing and they were like, what is she doing to my kayaker? And, you know, and so that was kind of fun, (laughs) but you just have to kind of take your, take a step back and um, sort of describing it as describe it as putting it in the hurt locker. Like I kind of feel like you just have to put the pain over here because if you focus on the pain or the cold or the fact that, you know, you just swam through this big, jellyfish soup, then you're, yeah. you know, you're not gonna, it's not good.
0: <laughs> so you right. just
1: figure out a way to change your perspective a little bit.
0: Yeah, sort of reframe it. Otherwise you'd probably not want to do it anymore. You
1: <laughs> said <laughs> then you would get in the boat because there's yeah. a
0: perfectly good boat right there right. next to you. Right there. Why did I get off that boat in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so what motivates you in general to do these swims? Why what do you enjoy about them? Why do you keep doing them over and over again?
1: When I did my two way Catalina swim, I would have told you at that point that it was because I wanted to find my limit. And so when I did my my first triple crown, when I did all of the swims, you know, I always felt like at the end that I had more in me. And I thought, well, you know, what am I going to do? Just figure out whether I do have more in me. And that's when I decided to see if I could do them as two ways. And when I finished my Catalina Channel swim, I mean, I reached my limit. Like I was hallucinating for nine hours. I got on the boat. I was a disaster. I mean, it was like I was. That was my limit. I feel like. And I saw two sunsets. The second sunset was wow. horrible. I mean, not horrible. Beautiful, but the experience it was, for you. <laughs> it was. It was yeah. like, oh my gosh! Like I just have to keep going. So then in the days after that swim, as, you know, as I explained, when you sort of think about it and you're processing it, I was like, well, I wonder if I had taken more solid nutrition or I wonder if I had started in the morning instead of in the evening and had one sunset, whether that would have mattered. Or, and then I, as I was trying to talk myself through it, I realized like, I was trying to find a way to push my limit even more because right, right? I had <laughs> really found my limit. So I feel like it's, you know, my husband says to me before I jump in for every swim, enjoy the journey. And as I said in the beginning, you know, it's really about that journey for me. And, you know, to me, the journey, when you push yourself and push yourself and push yourself, you learn an awful lot about yourself. Because like trying to figure out how to get through that spot in the Harlem River, you know, you have to just figure out how your brain works and how you can get through tough times and whether it's in the water or out of the water or whatever in life. And you just find a way to figure your way past whatever, you know, the challenge is. So that's why I think I like them because, you know, you just learn a lot about yourself and, and go to that sort of mindful place.
0: Yeah. So much of what we do physically really is mental. Um, yep. It really is amazing how much, it, I mean, I, I love what you said about that when you saw two sunsets and the second one, you know, you just kind of felt discouraged, like another one and I'm not done yet. It was in, an interesting reflection mentally to think, well, how would it have affected my performance and my experience if I only had to deal with one sunset? You know, it's those kinds of thoughts are those kinds of reflections are valuable. Yeah, I think. Um, How do you train for these long distance swims? We talked about how it's mentally draining to figure out how to fit the time in. What's the actual training like when you when you do find time to fit it in? What is it? Right.
1: So I swim a lot in the winter in the pool and then in mostly starting in about March, I try to get in the open water and swim as much as I can in the open water and then, you know, change it up because obviously, you know, I can't be I live in Richmond and there's not as much open water there. And then I come down to the bay and swim on the weekends. But it's um a lot of swimming, a lot of swimming. So I will swim six to seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning. Sometimes I'll go back in the evenings and do a a double. I'll um do long swims on the weekends. I did a swim in May in preparation for my channel swim. I swam from the eastern shore of Maryland, excuse me, eastern shore of Virginia. Across the Chesapeake Bay, um, about 18 miles to Hampton. So that took about 10, 10, and a half, 10 hours and 45 minutes or something like that, just to do a long, get a long swim in, uh, which you know helps because you get your mind kind of back in the groove of, of this is okay. It's going to hurt and it's going to mm-hmm. be you know you're going to have to see how your nutrition is and and that, those sorts of things. And then just I have a great group of people down here. And, on the Bay right now that train with me, and it's just lovely, so they they're they do their own swims too, and not not things as long as me, but like one lady's getting ready to do an eight mile swim in Florida, so uh so she trains with me a lot, and her husband kayaks, and it's just you know it, it's it's actually the, nice because in a in a sport that's very solitary it's you know the training is is communal, you know you go to swim practice, you train with your friends here. Or, Um, so I'm not sure. I think I rambled and I don't know. No, no, no.
0: I don't need to answer your question. That did answer it. So it sounds like on your lightest, sort of most local day of training, it's still taking up several hours of your time, especially if you're going for a couple hours in the morning and going back in the evening. Um, And like we mentioned in our introduction, you're the president of a law firm. So it's not like you have all this free time to play with. So how do you juggle your career and your marriage and and your, I mean, I don't even know. I think hobby probably an understatement. So let's just call it your swimming.
1: Yeah. So, um you know, I, you have to just take each day as it comes. And there are days when I have, you know, stuff at work and I can't go swim and I'll just plan to make, make it up on the weekend. And I have, I do have light weeks. Like I'll plan, you know, in a month, I'll plan like a week where I'm going to have less yardage and less time in the water and, you know, do a little bit more recovery and eat a little bit more and just kind of, you know, use that as a recovery time. So, you know, it's really hard, but, you know, you just get up and you do it. And, you know, like my husband says, sometimes you just got to take the trash out, you know, you just get up, you do it. And I love that. And, you know, I, 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 But there are times when I can't go, you know, there are times and and you have to just sort of be okay with that. I have some friends who really beat themselves up about it. And they're like, oh my gosh, if I don't get to, you know, 40,000 yards this week, you know, it's going to be the end of the world. And sometimes you just can't do it. And, you know, I feel like I've trained for so long, but if I miss a swim here or there, I can either make it up or I can, um, or it's not going to, it's not going to kill my swim if I I miss a couple couple of workouts
0: not going to make you or break you. Right. Um, I love that. Sometimes you, I'm going to start using that when I have to do things I don't want to do. And there's 25 other things I'd rather do. So I just, you got to take the trash out. <laughs> yeah. I
1: say when I, um, when I get up in the morning to go swim, I'll say to my husband, it's time to make the donuts. I'm not going to go make <laughs> donuts. So right. I try a little bit he's focused on the trash and I'm focused on donuts
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean you're probably hungry yet with all the miles that you swim so that's fair that's fair enough I think um how did you start doing this open water long distance swimming I I don't feel like this is something that most people say you know what I think I'll try um I'll try to swim across the English Channel someday so how, how did this begin for you so I was an open
1: or excuse me, I was a swimmer, year-round swimmer when I was a kid. And I moved to Virginia Beach when I was in high school from Richmond. And I started swimming in the in the ocean with the lifeguards and would go down in my bikini and there were mostly male lifeguards and I would go for a swim. And they would usually sort of roll their eyes at the beginning and then I would away from them because I was, I was a swimmer and I was always a distance swimmer. I mean, even when I was a kid, really little and you know, the coach would tell me to kick, like I don't kick at all. And, and and as soon as I could do a long distance event, like it was, I knew like, this is my thing. And so I really liked swimming in the ocean in high school. And then when I went, when I got older, I had a friend ask me if I wanted to do a triathlon with them and just do the swim portion. And I said, sure, that sounds super fun. So I did that. And then when I got out of law school, I had I just needed some balance in my life. And I knew if I set a goal to do a big swim, that I would have some balance. And so I was spending, you know, I was a brand new associate at a law firm, and I was focused on you know, my career. And, and I thought, okay, I'm going to sit at my desk all day if I don't Pick, pick something so I had two colleagues at my firm who had wanted to do the Chesapeake Bay swim which is 4.4 miles up across the bay near Annapolis and so we all decided we were going to do it we got in we started training and I did that swim and it was 62, 64 degrees in the water. It was a really cold June and I wore a wetsuit, which I don't do now. And I got all the water. My lips were blue. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But I really want to do it again. <laughs> so then I started doing it again. So I did the base swim every year for years. And that's when this sort of this idea of w- pushing my limits came into my head. And so then I went and I swam across the Potomac River eight miles. And then I decided I would go colder. So I went to Boston and I did an eight mile swim in Boston in 2010. And that's when, when I finished that swim, it was, there were 20 people in the swim and, you know, five of them probably had swum the channel. I thought, okay, if I'm in the same swim as them, you know, I could, they did it, then can I do it? And so I literally went home. Booked my English Channel Swim, booked a Manhattan Swim, and at that point, I was just sort of off to the races. And I remember when I booked my English Channel Swim, when I was a child, We were my dad and I were in the car. I was young, I was very young, and he was listening to NPR or whatever equivalent at the time. And there was a story about this woman who had just swum the English Channel, and it must have been Lynn Cox at the time. I don't, I'm not really sure who it was because it was in like the mid '70s. And my, I remember my dad taking me inside, and I was like, "Wait, what? That person did what? Where is that? And you know, how far is that?" So we looked at the encyclopedia, and my dad was like, "Okay, so here's the English Channel." And so it had always been sort of in the back of my mind since then. And then I booked the English Channel for 2012. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, you know, I've been thinking about this since I was a little itty bitty girl, and I'm gonna go do it. And so it was, you know, not like a dream, I don't think that I would do it one day, but just sort of a seed that was always sort of planted in the back of my mind.
0: Yeah, well, you have that sweet memory. And then to see it come to fruition is kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I remember him telling me like we were, we, we read about it, learned about it more. And he said, you know, they, they go, people go and they sit and wait for their time to swim, which is true. But in my head, all, all these years, I thought that people actually like went and sat on the dock. Very
0: <laughs> <They're dating>. literal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're just going to sit there and wait for their time to come as opposed to, you know, in their lodging or whatever, eating, you know, chocolate right. and, you know, pasta.
0: Right. <laughs> gearing up. Fun. So what I'm hearing then is swimming is kind of, it's more than swimming for you. It's your mindfulness practice. It's your work-life balance. And it sounds like through the story you told, swimming with the lifeguards and all these things, it's very empowering for you or has it been is. very empowering for you.
1: Yeah, it, it is. You know, the, I told somebody the other day that you know when they asked me, you know, well, what have you learned about yourself? And I was like, I think I've learned that I'm pretty tough, but you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> But I also can crack sometimes and it's how you sort of deal with that cracking, you know, in England, they call it um, throwing your toys out of the pram, which would oh. be like, a you know, a, having
0: like a hissy ball. fit. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so, you know, I, sometimes I throw my toys out of the pram and, you know, you, but then you recover and you move on and you look at the people on the boat
0: laughing at you when you're having your hissy fit and then you move on. <laughs> Yeah, we all have our moments, right? They're just, for most of us, they're not in the middle of the English channel, but we all have our moments. (laughs) True. So we talked a little bit about the fact that you're the president of Herschler. Mostly we've talked about your swimming. Do you want to talk a little bit about your work as a lawyer and and how your swimming sort of supports that? Sure, yeah. So, you know, I I
1: feel like if I don't take care of myself, and I would say to anybody, if you're not taking care of yourself, in your day to day life, that it hurts your work performance. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it makes me a better lawyer, a better president, a better administrator of my firm to take care of myself. So it's like putting, you know, when you're flying, and they say, put the mask on Mm -hmm. yourself before Mm -hmm. you help others, you've got to take care of yourself first. And it's that, you know, It's the things that I've learned about myself out there. You know, you might have worked through a place in the Harlem River that, you know, you have to change your perspective a little bit. And when I get up in front of a judge or I'm dealing with a difficult, you know, attorney on the other side, I always sort of go back to my swimming and say, you know, really nothing is as hard as swimming for 33 hours. So I think I can do this. I think like it's going to be okay if I have to, you know, deal with a difficult issue or deal with a difficult um, attorney on the other side or or get myself up to go to court. Like all of those things are just pale in comparison to you know the things that I've been able to accomplish. I feel like in my personal, well, I guess in my life as personal, in work worked as personal, but in my own life, you know, in my for me and not for my clients or for my firm. So I just think it really, um, it gives me balance, but it also makes me a stronger person, which helps me in my job.
0: Yeah, I really like that. I was um, talking, my first guest was Ann Moss Rogers and her son died by suicide several years ago. And we were talking about resilience and she actually said something very similar to what you just said that, You know, I asked her, how did she persevere? How do you cultivate that kind of resilience to recover from something like that? And she said, I just kept telling myself, you know, it's going to be hard, but nothing is ever going to be as bad as that day I found out. It's never going to be that bad. And that's kind of similar to what you're saying about nothing is as hard as swimming the English channel. If I can do that, then everything else is, you know, easy.
2: Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. you a great perspective. You know, definitely.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so in addition to working as a lawyer and swimming, you maintain a blog called Swim and Tonic, which is a really clever little plan words that I appreciate. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? I've read some of the entries. Are you going to update it for, um, to reflect yeah. this most recent swim?
1: Yes, I started drafting something recently, and I just haven't had a chance to get it done yet. Um, but And I to say I maintain it, would probably be aggressive because I don't do a very good job of keeping it up to date I tried to do better years ago and then um you know life gets in the way so so I don't do a great job of maintaining it but I will update it um here hopefully it'll go up maybe by next weekend for my most recent swim
0: I will be interested to go read. I mean, I'm obviously getting quite a lot of information about it right now, but I would love to read sort of the play-by-play of the experience. Um, and you know, you do have to prioritize when you're working like you work and training, like you train, I can see why swim and tonic would sometimes need to be maybe on the back burner every now and again. (laughs) Yes, it is. It definitely is. (laughs) You have been in the news for your open water swims before, and people can sometimes I gather even track your progress live. Um, with GPS and various platforms and websites. Why, what about your swimming? Do you think interests people so much?
1: You know, it's funny. I I I think people
2: like to I, I would say
1: the people who know me the best are invested. So, like the people that I train with here um in Hampton, um And the people that I train with in the pool and the people that have been on my swims with me and the people, other swimmers, those folks are, they sort of understand the journey and they are, they, they're part of the team. And so it's like, you know, sitting on the sidelines and watching, you know, your team, your football team play, you know, it's just the, that sort of investment. So I think there's probably two different groups of people. So there's those people that really just feel a huge investment. And then there's just something um, about, I feel like, the human spirit that wants to see people accomplish goals that they've set for themselves. Mm -hmm. I have um, some work colleagues that follow my SWIMS a lot. And I have this one, uh, one of them is the, uh, is our sort of, she's our director of legal recruiting. And then the former executive vice president of the firm. So they both really follow my swims a ton and they watch the tracker. And so it's this little dot and you watch the dot, you know, and then for the last three years, they've, you know, they are like, is she going to make the turn? Is she not uh-huh. going to, you know, and, and that's really all the information you have because you don't have a ton of um, coverage, you know, cell phone coverage out on the channel. So okay. you know everybody waits to see, is the dot going to turn? And I remember in in 2012, when I did my first channel, English Channel Swim, Myrna is the person's name. She was our director of legal recruiting. She's watching the dot in her office. And the former executive vice president was in his office watching the dot. (laughs) And he called her and he doesn't ever call her, called her on the phone and and she was like, oh my gosh, why is he calling me? And she picks up the phone and he goes, I think she's there. I think she's there. Do you think she's oh. there? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know whether I should admit that I'm watching this dot. You know, right, you- right. I'm working. <laughs> I'm working very hard. Um, so, you know, I just think that they are, they, they know what I go through and how much I train and how much I'm committed to it. And they just want to see me achieve something. Uh, And then there are just people out in the world, like I said, that just, you know, like to see people achieve their goals. And, you know, that's really the only way to follow the swim is to watch this little dot move across the channel and, you know, see, you know, which, where, where's the route going and how fast is she going and, you know, what it gives you information about the tide or the weather and the water temperature and the wind. And, you know, people look at that stuff. Oh, the wind just picked up. I hope she's doing okay.
0: Yeah. I was actually going to ask a question um, about sort of the weather and the toughest swims you've done. What's the, what are the ideal conditions for a swim? And then what's maybe the toughest condition you have had to swim through?
1: Yeah. So wind is the, probably the biggest enemy of swimming, um, open water swimming, because if, you, you know, the wind is going to turn the water up typically. And if it's in particular, if it's against the tide, you have wind over tide, it's you know the water kind of turns up and it can get really rough. So the, I mean, water temperature wise, you know, everybody would probably have a different idea of mm-hmm. ideal, but for me, you know, somewhere around the mid sixties is ideal. And You know, I can go forever in that temperature if it's too hot. Like today when I swam, I thought I would die. It was 81 degrees in the bay. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is just horrible. But, you know, it's only for an hour and a half. (laughs) It wasn't. wasn't Everyone listening is
0: going, oh yeah, it's only for an hour and a half. (laughs) So, uh, so
1: ideal conditions would be totally flat and about, uh, and no wind and about 65 degrees with sun. That would be lovely. Mm -hmm. Um, but that never, or rare, rarely happens. So the worst conditions that I have swum in when I st- went for my first, um, my first two-way English Channel attempt in 2018, we started and the wind was up, but we expected that it was gonna, it was gonna come down, it was gonna settle. And you know the weather in the English Channel is re- is relatively unpredictable, and it gets just. In- so windy there. I so I feel like it's got to be the windiest place on earth. Like it's just windy all the time. So we got into the swim and the conditions started to deteriorate. And the wind was four, six, which is, you know, 20, 25 mile an hour winds for basically the last half of the swim. And the sea got to be six feet, seven feet, eight feet, coming over the bow of the boat. And that was when I, I, mean, I chose at that point not to make the turn. When I came back to the boat, I finished in England, or excuse me, in France. And I turned and came to swim back to the boat. And when I got back to the boat, you know, we were, I was having a conversation from the water with the boat captain and he said, you know, it's going to blow even harder on the way back. And I said, well, how long do you think it's going to take me to get back? And he said, well, if it blows four seven, so basically call it over 25 miles an hour, I'm going to pull you. Um, and I said, well, when's that going to be? <laughs> he said, well, it could be five minutes, five hours, 15 hours, 20 hours. But if it does, it's not safe. And I'm going to pull you. Mm-hmm. And I was remember sitting there going, "What am I going to do?" And then he said, "Get in the boat, love. You're getting Aww. the boat. Get in the boat." Love. And so, get the boat. But, but it was it was a very very rough swim, um, and you know, really mostly just because of the wind. Yeah,
0: I'm going to hit you with a quote that you actually said. Um, the, the first time I saw you, um, actually the only time I saw you was when you were on a panel discussion uh, at a workshop that the sports backers held. Um, several years ago and I, I was just oh my gosh I was writing down everything you said because everything you said was just so amazing um, but one of the things you said that day I actually still have the notes from that conference and I went back and reviewed them before uh, before this interview you said one arm and then the other arm until I get there I stay completely focused on the goal and just keep going I'm not afraid of swimming in rough seas and I feel like that I mean, relates on a very literal level to what we were just talking about, because even when they pulled you, it was, you know, you were kind of weighing the options. Well, how far could I go? There was not really fear. It was more pragmatism um, Mm -hmm. on your part, but it it can also apply, I think, very figuratively to other things in our lives Um, relating back to your husband saying, sometimes you got to take out the trash. Like sometimes you hit rough seas and one arm in front of the other (laughs) until you get there.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, some people talk about swimming feed to feed. So every, thir- most people feed, sounds weird. It sounds like we're, you know, seals or something. <laughs> we feed every 30 minutes. And, you know, people talk about swimming feed to feed. And to me, you know, sometimes that's too long. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like you just want to know, can I take one more stroke? Right. And, you know, that's what I think I've learned over the years is that pretty much I can always take one more stroke.
0: Yeah, I love I love that idea. Yeah. One arm and then the other arm. One arm just like it's like little uh what's your name on Finding Nemo Dory? Yeah. Just keep swimming. <laughs> just keep swimming. Um, what's your favorite swim you've ever done and why?
2: Hmm.
0: That's probably
1: a really hard question. That's a hard question. Um I don't know that I have necessarily a favorite. I think for me, that my first English channel swim was just really surreal. And I remember I walked up on the French shore and, you know, you're literally all by yourself. You know, everybody stays in the boat and the boat's like 500 meters or, you know, half a a quarter of a mile away. So you can't, like, you're not experiencing what you just did with anybody. But when I walked up on shore, there was a French wedding. Happening on the beach, and I had made. My husband said to me, "You've got a wedding going on, you know, because you nobody can touch you until you clear the water." So I, I made a decision to turn, and so I kind of went to the right. So I didn't really like come up into this wedding, but the photographer from the wedding left, literally left the wedding and came running down the beach at me, and she's French. She didn't speak any English. And, and she's speaking to me in French and I'm standing there like just been swimming for 14 hours. Like I, I like, are you
0: you real or am I hallucinating?
1: (laughs) I'm trying, usually you pick a rock and so you find a rock or a pebble or whatever on shore. And that's, you know, that's your metal. That's Mm -hmm. what you get. So I was looking for my rock and she's talking to me in French and I finally realized, you know, she was asking me how long it took me. And she goes, you know, ah, de toi, and pointed at her watch. It was like one, two, three. I'm like, no, beaucoup, beaucoup. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know how long I had been swimming, but I knew it was more than three hours. Right. So, so that was, and I just remember standing on the French coast, you know, thinking like, this is just insanity that I just did that. And, you know, then you got to swim back to the boat, which is never very fun, but so that's that's probably my favorite swim if I had to pick one,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, maybe not my favorite accomplishment, but probably my favorite swim.
0: Recently, I heard a news story about authorities in some localities placing restrictions on people doing open water swims because I guess there have been more drownings than normal this year. What are your thoughts about that, or had you heard about that at all? So you
1: know there it depends on um, where you are, whether a lake is or open bo- body of water is owned by a, a jurisdiction or or controlled by a jurisdiction. I feel like you know one of. the I'll talk a little bit about learning to swim. So I have worked with Swim RVA in Richmond since it was really since it was formed um, and before the pool in Richmond was even built, and. The you know, the swimmer VA's goal is to teach every second grader in the Richmond region to swim. And you know, if you don't learn how to swim as a child, you know the likelihood that you're going to learn to swim as an adult is slim. You know, most people don't go learn to swim. My mother never learned to swim. My aunt, um, her sister, never learned to swim. So it was very important to you know to my parents that I learned how to swim, which I'm glad they did. Yes,
0: saying, look at that.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So I I think, you know, drowning is a terrible thing. And I mean, so I think that I can understand how people need to balance um, people's safety with drowning, but I would probably redirect that focus to learn to swim programs and education rather than cutting off access to open water, because, you know, if you can't, If you can't do what you love, that's, you know, I have friends who are in Boston who I think had some issues with, um, access to water up there and, you know, they're, and I don't know how, I don't know how you, whether you get a license that shows that you know how to swim, like you have to get a license to show that you know how to drive. If they're worried about it, I don't know what the solution is because you don't want people to die either, but I would focus my attention on learn to swim.
0: Right. Treat the cause, not the symptom sort
2: Mm
1: -hmm. of.
0: Um, approach. Um, I'm going to hit you with some, some other quotes of yours that I loved from a few years back. (laughs) You'll, you'll be so impressed with yourself when you hear them. Um, One of them that I loved that really stuck with me that I actually shared with colleagues in a workshop that I then led later, I gave you credit, um, was you said the hardest thing is jumping off a perfectly good boat in the dark. I don't know if you remember saying that, if I say you, that a lot. Okay, so can you explain a little bit about the context of that statement? And I mean, I know that you mean it literally, but if it's something you say a lot, what, what, what's the deeper significance to that quote?
1: So when I did um, my first Catalina Channel swim, so it was my first, it was my last swim to complete my Triple Crown in 2013. I had done some night swimming but not had swum my channel swim was a little bit at night but in Catalina you start at midnight typically because the winds pick up in the afternoon coming off the California coast so you go out to Catalina Island and you jump off a perfectly good boat in the nighttime and you swim to Catalina Island clear the water and then turn to swim back to mainland so when I got to um, the start so the the boat ride over is about two and a half hours. And it is one of the worst, the roughest boat rides I've ever had. My husband was, you know, on the back of the boat, taking his, you know, Dramamine and just hoping that he wasn't going to throw up. So you make your way across and, you know, get ready, get my suit on, I get sunscreen on, I get, you know, Vaseline on for chafing. And I'm, lights on the back and I'm getting ready to jump off the boat and I go as we're walking back I could hear these uh, flying fish hitting the side of the boat and I knew that there were stories of flying fish in Catalina and I didn't really think that they flew I thought maybe they just like leapt out of the water but these suckers like fly I mean they fly they (laughs) They are flying fish (laughs) And they would just, and we lit up the cove and they're hitting the side of the boat and you could hear them. And one of them lands in the boat. And I, it was, I'm like, I'm surrounded by flying, flying fish, fish. <laughs> and then I get ready to jump off the back of the boat. And there was a flying fish that came up and a sea lion leapt literally right behind the boat, leapt out and <laughs> grabbed this flying fish and ate him. And then started doing laps around the boat and going around the cove. And the boat captain's like, okay, we got to go. We got to go. Like, it's time. We got to get this swim started. And I'm like, okay, so we've got flying fish. We've got (laughs) the sea lion chasing the flying fish. (laughs) And what's chasing the sea lion? (laughs) (laughs) This is crazy. Like, why am I going to jump off of this perfectly good boat in the middle Uh of the night? And swim through kelp. And, you know, and it is dark. Like, it is as dark is anywhere on the planet like it is because there's no there's no no light mm-hmm. where we start in Catalina it's just dark and you're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean so it's so dark and you know you just got to get to the back of the boat and make the decision like okay am I going to jump this boat into the middle of the darkness and swim to shore and start the swim in the middle of flying fish and sea lions and whatever's chasing the sea lion. And so you just, you got to have that courage and you have to really make that choice way before the time that you get to something off the boat. But that was aggressive. Like, (laughs) like
0: I'm reasonably sure I would have made the opposite choice. I, I'm very impressed that in those conditions, how did you make yourself do it? Because like, I would be asking like you, what's chasing the sea lion? I think we should just stay on the boat.
1: (laughs) Well, I, you know, it, they don't really They don't, the sharks that are out there, they don't want me. The sea lion doesn't really want, you know, they just, they're, I feel like they're happy to share their environment (laughs) with, with us humans. So I just, you know, you, you have your whole crew there, you've trained, you I mean, I know it's the Pacific ocean. I know that there are these things in the Pacific ocean and before you pay your money and before you get, you know, all these people to California and get on a boat and go two and a half hours out into the Pacific, you have to have made that decision way back in before you are there ready to jump off the boat.
0: Yeah. You better be committed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and what a, I mean, what a unique experience to have seen that and heard that and felt that i mean that's not a lot of people have probably had anything comparable to that in their lives so that's fascinating and i think for a lot of us the anticipation of what's going to happen after we jump off that proverbial boat is what's the scariest part because once you're in the water swimming you can probably just hit your rhythm and it's like riding a bike and you're just doing the one arm and then the other arm and um you know, probably there were some things that were very intimidating to you as the first president of the law firm, for example, or before your first long swim. Do you want to talk at all about um, the fear of the unknown? I think staying in the moment,
1: and I'll go back to that, is the best advice that I can give myself, is, is that you, yeah, you've got fear of the unknown, but you can only deal with what's right in front of your face. And, you know, I could be worried about whether there are sharks out there or whether, you know, there's, I had the oddest situation. I'm going to take a little diversion because I just thought about it. When I just did this swim a couple of weeks ago, I had, you know, you worry about the unknown and you worry about what's out there. And, you know, usually you're thinking about sharks or whales or jellyfish or, sea lions or seals or whatever it might fish, you know, big fish, whatever it might be. And so I'm swimming along in, in the, in, um, England and my husband was taking a video and you see this seagull kind of come around and swims past me. And then he circles back and he lands behind me and Matt goes, Oh, look, it's a little birdie. And the bird starts kind of paddling behind and looking at my feet. And then you see him just go, Ooh, really, really fast. And he bites the back of my foot. And so I thought it was going to be a seal. You know, I I felt it on my toe. I didn't, hadn't seen this bird come around, turn around. And I look and there's this seagull looking at me like I'm dinner and, you know, (laughs) And so then he keeps, you know, coming at me, like paddling over. And I started splashing him and yelling at him. And I was like, like, this is not one of the unknowns that <laughs> I would have thought was yeah, gonna happen. I it. Like attacked by a seagull in the channel. And he, I mean, he literally like would not leave me alone. And so then finally I just said, I've gotta start swimming again. So I started swimming and then Matt started my husband started the video again and you can see Matt says (laughs) this word attacked Courtney and you know and then he stayed there and let me swim away so you know you can't you don't even know well like I guess that's an unknown but there are things (laughs) that you can sort of you know be prepared in your head about like you can prepare for swimming in the dark Mm -hmm. you can prepare your brain for you know the fact that you're not going to be able to see if something is coming towards you like you can prepare and you do all of these things to be able to prepare and they make those sort of you know unknowns or or things that could happen out there they make them easier to deal with um I don't know that I could have ever planned for you know Having a seagull attack my toe. I'd never thought about that. But but really all the other sort of unknowns or things that you think could happen out there. So, so I swam Cape Cod Bay. That'll be, I guess, my shark story. So I I, I swam across Cape Cod Bay in 2014, I think. And there were there are obviously sharks in Cape Cod. And we used I had two kayakers and I had a shark shield off of the side of the kayak one of the kayaks and it sends out this electronic signal that somehow bothers the shark's nostrils i don't quite understand interesting and they and it's only really about a 10 foot perimeter but they're they they say that if the shark hits the perimeter that it'll Turn and go the other way, and there's videos that show it. I've never witnessed whether that has happened, but you know that's that was a scary swim. People have had that their swim stopped in Cape Cod because their shark sightings. Um, the day after my swim, there was a shark encounter with two kayakers um, right where I started. Wow. They, the shark came up and got the you know, bit the kayak. Mm-hmm. So they're there, and but you just have to decide but you're okay with that risk before you get in the water and, and you just stay more alert and make sure that you're focused on, you know, the unknown, what, what might be out there.
0: Right. Which that directly relates to the last of your own quotes that I was going to, um, to remind you of, you had said, you said at the sports backers event, don't put unnecessary obstacles in front of you before they're there. Um, and I thought that that those were just such wise words that could be generalized to so much in our life experience. Of course, we were talking at that point in the context of your swims, but that could apply to anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because, it, you know, all again, all you can do is just deal with what's in front of you. And, you know, if you may not have any situation come up uh, during the swim that's an obstacle that you have to get past you know you know that if the water is cold that you need to train for the cold and you know that if you're going to like I said before if you're going to swim at night in the dark that you have to figure out how you're going to swim in the dark and are you going to be okay with it but why why create all these unnecessary obstacles in if they're not there like
0: <laughs> right there's I mean, enough
1: there are enough actual obstacles to deal with.
0: And the ones you're worried about very likely will never materialize. Yeah. Yeah. My husband would laugh that I'm even saying that because I'm infamous for being like, but what if this? What if that? What if this? What if that? And he's always like, You need to stop. <laughs> None of that's gonna happen. Um, do you have any upcoming swims on your calendar in the works, in the plans?
1: So I um I may be swimming a 20 mile swim down the Potomac in October. So it's a new swim. I have two friends who did it two years ago as sort of a test run and try to see if it could be done. So it's basically north or up up the Potomac from DC Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: then down to um, Mount Vernon. Down the Potomac, so you literally swim right through the heart of DC, under the Woodrow Wilson Bridge, and you know, so pretty iconic route.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm hopeful that that will still materialize. There are some issues to be um, worked out with the DC government and making sure the water quality is good and all of those things. So I don't, I don't know if I'll end up doing that swim or not. If they have it, then I'll do it. So that's that's one. And then, um, you know, my, my husband has said to me, you know, what's what do you think about what do you want to do next? Because I've been trying to get this English Channel Swim done for the last four years. And, you know, so it's been singularly focused really on the English Channel. And I booked a swim for this year. I didn't know if I would get a channel spot this year, but I was lucky enough to get one. And I booked a swim in Lake Geneva, um, which is 45 miles or something from point to point. And it's, you know, between France and and Switzerland, and it just looks gorgeous. And I have a friend who just did it. It took her 31 hours. So I have that swim on the agenda. I have not picked a date to do that. And I need to just make a decision whether I want to try to do it next year or whether I want to maybe do it the year after. And. And so then we'll see. And then I don't know. I don't really know. I feel like I need a couple of more weeks to process what I just did and make some choices. I really prefer salt water swims over or salty-ish water, even if it's brackish, over lake swims. Um, But some lakes might not be too bad right now after the salt mouth is the worst. Like the salt in your mouth, like Mm -hmm. my tongue peels off and you know your whole throat you know, and you're, everything swells up. It's kind of awful. So, so coming off of that lakes actually sound kind of good.
0: (laughs) I just got back from Michigan. Do they do any long distance open water swims on any of the great lakes?
1: They do. So I have one of my very good friends. Um, she did a two way English channel swim when she was 52. And I did mine when I was 51 and she sort of pivoted after that. And she decided that she wanted to swim across all of the Great Lakes. Yeah. So she mm-hmm. has done Huron and Erie and Ontario and Michigan. Um, and now I can't think of what Superior. That yeah, she has not done Superior, so she's got to do Superior. But she did Lake Michigan last year, which is a, a beast of a swim. That's really long. Yeah. Yeah. So they, so yeah, so they do those, although, you know, you really just organize them yourself with your boat captain or whoever, you know, whatever organization. So they don't do like big events across the the lakes, but they do smaller swims. Like there's a swim in Chicago in the next couple of weeks called Big Shoulders, which is um, 5K, I think they might have a 10K option. That you can do um, in Lake Michigan, just sort of like right, right downtown, along the, the with the skyline in the background.
0: I've heard you say "book a swim." Uh, use that phrase a few times. Is what is that? What what is that? What are you doing when you book a swim? So,
1: for um, I'll use England for ex- an example. So there are organizations that are that govern these swims. So in England, there's the channel swimming and piloting federation and the channel swimming association. They they're basically the governing body for the swims. They make sure you have, you know, an observer on the boat, they make sure all the rules are followed, they interface with the government and make sure all of that takes place. They each have um, about five or six boat captains that affiliate with them. So you really, the, the hardest thing to do is to book the boat because the boats get, um, they get filled up. There's only so many swim days in, you know, in any given season. So like you can't swim in England, well, I guess you could, but you would freeze. You could can't really do it in December or fe- or February. So you really, you talk to the boat captain and you, you know, you enter into a contract with your boat captain and then whichever boat captain you pick, whatever organization they're affiliated with, then you um, apply, you do a qualifying swim, you you know, arrange with them to have the official observer. So it's sort of twofold. It's with whatever the organization is. And then typically it's booking a boat captain as well. And a boat.
0: Right. Um, You mentioned the scenery that your friend enjoyed when she was doing the one in Switzerland and then talking about the skyline in Detroit. When you're doing one of these swims, how much are you actually able to take in the scenery during the swim? It depends
1: on the swim. And, you know, when you're in the middle of a channel, it is, there's not really any scenery other than the English channel is the busiest shipping channel in the world. Like there's boats everywhere. There are boats, there are ferries going back and forth. There's two lanes of traffic, you know, of container ships going up and down the channel. So you really take in sort of the boat traffic as opposed to the scenery. But there is a series of swims in Arizona, of all places, called SCAR. And so you swim four lakes over four days, Saguaro Canyon, Apache, and Roosevelt. And you swim point to point for the first three and then a 10K night swim on the last day. And those there, it's the Salt River Reservoirs that kind of come down, it's east of Mesa. And it's like swimming in the Grand Canyon. It wow. is beautiful. And so you're literally in the middle of a canyon swimming through it. And that is perhaps the prettiest, one of the prettiest places I've ever been, much less gotten a chance to swim in. And it's just phenomenal. So that's that allows you to take in the scenery, but mostly you're just in the water.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I always, I'm thinking I used to lifeguard and I used to swim a little bit. Two and I think I, I don't remember that I ever was very cognizant of what was around me because you know even in a pool it was just breathing and water, and um I didn't look up that much necessarily
1: yeah, you're just in fact, today I had um somebody swim past me going the other direction, like they weren't with our group, and one of my friends stopped and said, Did you see that guy and I'm I said, I didn't see anything. And he, <laughs> he, he almost hit him. So I didn't even notice. Like the, somebody swam right past me and I didn't even notice it.
0: Proof that I really didn't see him if I almost hit him. <laughs> um, well, those were all my questions. I guess as a parting question, do you have any um, pieces of life advice or swimming advice or legal advice that you would like to leave listeners with?
1: Uh, I think the... The best advice that I can give people is, you know, do what you love, because, you know, I love swimming. I love being a lawyer. I love being the president of my law firm. Like, I love all those things. And I just think, and even when you're out there and you're in the middle of uh, a hard swim or you're feeling sick to your stomach or you're just whatever obstacle, you know, whatever obstacle is in front of you, you know, if you love what you do then it makes it all worth it. And, you know, there have been things that I've done in my life that I have not loved. And, you know, if somebody told me that I needed to run, uh, you know, even, you know, like of half a mile, I would, I would hate that. I would hate running. I would hate it. And, you know, it just, it makes everything worth it when you love what you do. And, you know, even in your job, you know, if you make a choice in your job, and you are miserable in your job, then pick a different job, you know, you have one life, and you should do things that bring you joy and make you happy instead of, you know, being miserable, as you tackle whatever it might be in your day to day life. So that's that's probably the best advice I can give.
0: Love that. With the job advice too, that reminds me of that quote again about jumping off the boat. I think we get comfortable on our boat, whatever that is in our career, in our town. But you know, being comfortable isn't always the best thing, though. Sometimes you need to jump ship, right? Something yeah. else.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Because it's and and it's scary to do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's scary to jump off a perfectly good boat in the, in in the, the, the dark. dark. Right. <laughs> but. But even though it's scary, it's, you know, when you finish and you pop out on the other side, it's also pretty awesome. So it's, you know, it's always harder to make, you know, inertia keeps us going. And it's harder to make that change when, you know, even though you may know you should do it, it's scary and, and fear of the unknown and those sorts of things. But, you know, you'll probably be better in the long run if you're happy.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was a lovely interview, very uplifting, very informative. I learned a lot about long-distance open water swimming today that I did not know before.
1: Most people don't know much about it. They're yeah. There are not many of us in the world.
0: Yeah. yeah, you guys are a unique breed for sure. A little crazy. All- <laughs> in all the best ways, in all the best ways. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this episode of If She Can Do It, So Can You. If you know an amazing woman who you think we should feature on a future episode of the podcast, I invite you to email me, your host, Amanda Creasy at if she can do it, so can you at gmail.com. I also invite you to check out our website. If she can do it, so can you. and pay us a visit at Instagram. If she can do it, so can you big thanks goes out to Brad Vier of Radfire Productions for editing this podcast. The podcast would absolutely not be possible without his editing expertise. I also would like to thank Ashley Unger, who does all of the artwork for this podcast. Thank you so much to both of you. For everyone else, again, please stop by our Instagram account, if she can do it, so can you, where you can find awesome information about the guests and the people behind the scenes at the podcast, as well as some little inspirational quotes and motivations and other really great content. I would also love to see you at our website if she can do it, so can you. you.wordpress.com. Until next time, this is your host, Amanda Creasy, signing off. I will see you on the 1st of next month. I leave you with this thought. If she can do it, so can you.